Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter Ten, Part Two. On the subject of the private theatricals, there was most decidedly a difference of opinion between the heads of the Dowling family, and some rough skirmishing might have ensued had not Mademoiselle Bourgeois hinted to her good friend Sir Matthew that if they could introduce a scene or two where all the dear little children could be shown off lady dowling's objections would probably give way the experiment was made and answered completely on condition that gratitude and goodness should open and close with scenes in which the whole family should appear in fancy dresses and be grouped by the dancing-master in the most graceful attitudes he could invent lady dowling withdrew her opposition as soon therefore as apollo had retired from the front of the stage no less than sixteen male and female dowlings rushed forth from the silken hangings and formed themselves after some little confusion into a tableau declared on all sides to be of unrivalled beauty again bravos and clapping of hands announced the delight of the spectators and when this was calmed some very pompous verses gave notice that this display of youthful grace and beauty was on occasion of a rustic fete in which the dramatis personae were to amuse themselves al fresco then entered the lady clarissa but for some good reason or other it had been decided between the knight and herself that she should enter alone and from a most poetical scream of terror soon uttered by her ladyship it became evident that a dragon or a cow or some other dreadful animal had been pursuing her again and again with most picturesque effect she looked behind her towards the blue silk coulisse from whence she had issued till at length the feelings of the audience were worked up to a wonderful pitch by her ejaculating it comes it comes this was little michael's cue and as soon as the words were spoken he entered from the opposite side holding a ragged cap on high and dressed in all respects precisely as he had been on the memorable night of lady clarissa's vaccine adventure in dumb show the lady indicated the direction from whence the dreaded monster would approach and the most energetic and unsparing action of the limbs and persons secured the audience as well as her deliverer from any possible mistake on the subject michael too performed his part with great spirit exaggerating as he had been commanded by every possible means the manoeuvres necessary for turning the front of a cow to this scene too the audience gave loud applause and in the midst of it entered sir matthew who was of course greeted by bravos long drawn out till the ladies and gentlemen having nearly deafened one another ceased at last and listened to the beautiful explanation which followed first the company were made to comprehend that the danger was over for the well-taught michael turned about and manfully facing the audience pronounced distinctly the beast is gone then sir matthew after bowing respectfully to the lady said permit me madam to express my joy that you've been saved by this good little boy it was however uttered in an accent of such temperate and measured feeling that not even lady dowling saw anything very particular in it a precaution by the way which had been suggested by the gentlemen during the frequent rehearsals lady clarissa's acting then became animated indeed for the poet following her instructions had composed for her in smooth yet startling rhymes about thirty lines of the most fervent thanksgiving in which now laying one hand on the head of the ragged child now clasping both together in the eagerness of her address to sir matthew and now gracefully extending both arms towards the audience as if to make them sharers in her generous emotions she produced an effect more easily imagined than described 
the speech which followed from sir matthew was very noble and at once led the audience into all the secret purposes of his benevolent heart the by-play of michael during this scene had been prepared for by his benefactor with particular care but somehow or other the boy was not apt in catching the knight's idea for instead of the tender but joyous smile with which he had been instructed to look up into the face of his munificent patron his countenance expressed nothing but terror that little fellow does not look happy martha whispered miss brotherton oh no he looks very frightened replied martha but that is very natural is it not considering the novelty of his situation i don't know said the heiress the piece went on to exhibit the beautiful manner in which this adoption of a ragged factory boy into the bosom of the dowling family had been hailed by all of them as an especial grace from heaven on account of the opportunity it afforded for relieving the overflowing generosity of their hearts sir matthew while looking round upon his sixteen full-dressed offspring who were now again skilfully grouped upon the stage was made to exclaim with clasped hands and an almost sobbing excess of emotion the widow and the orphan are more dear to their young hearts than million pounds a year everybody was touched and again the applause was deafening then came a very striking scene indeed michael appeared superbly dressed and on each side of him was a middling-sized miss dowling holding lightly and gracefully each a little basket from under the covers of which peeped out grapes and peaches on the one side and something that had the semblance of a flask of wine on the other then spoke the fair-haired louisa dear little boy this basket's all your own tis to reward the courage you have shown and then miss charlotte so is this too my pretty little boy we hoped will give your poor old mother joy and when michael having received a basket in each hand appeared preparing to depart the two young ladies exclaimed together tis papa sends it who's so very kind how to do good is all he seeks to find upon this michael turned round again towards the audience and stood stock still it was quite evident that he had some speech to make which he had apparently forgotten but it was impossible for any child to look more completely distressed and at a loss at length it became pretty evident that in lieu of all other performance the poor boy was going to cry and some ingenious persons doubted whether it might not be in his part to do so but this idea was speedily removed by the very matter-of-fact pokes and nudges which the two young ladies bestowed upon him in addition to this it seemed as if the little fellow caught some stimulating sounds from the coulisses for he cast more than one furtive glance in that direction and at length with what was evidently a great effort he stammered out my mother's dear and so's my brother too but dearer still are your papa and you his charity's so great his heart so good he gives the naked clothes the hungry food and i for one will day and night in prayer ask blessings for him and his worth declare the two last lines were so completely choked by the tears which all his efforts could not suffice to restrain that they were perfectly unintelligible to the audience is all that vehemence of weeping a part of mr norval's composition inquired miss brotherton in a whisper to martha upon my word i don't know but i should think not was the reply martha said the heiress very earnestly that child is suffering from an agony of terror 
i should hope not said martha in a voice that somewhat faltered do you know anything about this boy pursued miss brotherton continuing her whispering do you know anything about the mother he talks of nothing whatever miss brotherton do you feel quite satisfied my dear that this romantic adventure has been or will be advantageous to him i think replied martha that one can hardly doubt his being better off here than in the poverty of his mother's dwelling you saw miss brotherton what a ragged condition the clothes were in which he had worn before decent clothes are a comfort my dear martha there can be no doubt of it but compared with the other circumstances which influence the happiness of life they are of no great importance of course i suppose that your father means to educate him do you know whether he can read his bible yet i know that he could not replied martha when he came here poor little wretch that is very terrible neglect somewhere what sort of person is the mother by michael's account replied martha smiling she is a very estimable person indeed but it certainly seems that she has not taken much pains with his education poor little fellow what a sad thing it is continued miss brotherton that we all of us know so little of the poor people employed in the factories i believe they are said to be exceedingly well paid but still i don't think it is quite right for the rich people in a neighbourhood to take no notice whatever of the poor i know it is not so in other places for i have heard my schoolfellows continually talk of their father's tenants and workpeople and of their schools and their clothing societies and all sorts of things and i have been trying to do a little good just at home with the families of some of the workpeople about the place but i have just now got my head strangely full of these factory folks i wish you could give me some information about them martha indeed my dear miss brotherton i know as little as you do i am told that they are very good for nothing that they receive enormous sums annually in wages and yet that they are never contented but forever complaining just because they have to work to do for what they get and yet papa says that it is the very prettiest lightest work in the world and indeed i am afraid it is but too true for this little fellow though he is so interesting and intelligent that it is impossible to help liking him always speaks of the factory as if he hated it and if he does hate it martha why if you question him should he conceal it but i have never questioned him about that i should not think it right to do so only i remember his making me laugh just after he came here by saying something exceedingly naive about their all liking wages but not work now though i am not very deep in political economy it is impossible not to see that poor people must work for what they get don't you think so assuredly and rich people too i have no doubt that both your father and my father had to work very hard for the fortunes which have rewarded their industry in our class of life this is necessary but that does not settle the question that is working in my head at present and which to tell you the truth will not let me sleep by night nor amuse myself by day how comes it that all the people the only phrases i have heard upon the subject were very comprehensive how comes it martha dowling that all the people young and old who work in the factories are classed as ignorant and depraved my dear miss brotherton how is it possible that i should be able to answer you have you not heard the same statement martha oh yes very often i know mamma says that nothing in the world should induce her to take a girl who had worked in the factories into the house even in the very lowest situation oh i believe they are very bad very bad but good gracious why are they very bad 
what is the cause of this strange degradation of one peculiar class of human beings it surely cannot arise from the nature of their employment for if it did of course the clergy of the neighbourhood would interfere to stop it it is quite out of the question to suppose that in a christian country many hundreds nay thousands mrs tremlett tells me there are many thousands employed in the factories it is impossible to suppose is it not that any labour or occupation could be permitted which by its nature and of necessity tended to corrupt the morals of those employed in it there must be some other cause for their wickedness if wicked they are oh they are very wicked i am quite sure of that for i have heard it again and again ever since i was born and you know i have not been away like you miss brotherton always in london i have never lived anywhere but here and i never remember the time when i did not hear that the factory people were the very wickedest set of wretches in the world for a few minutes miss brotherton was silent and even seemed to have restored her attention to the silly business of the gaudy stage for her eyes were fixed in that direction but she presently gave evidence that wherever her eyes had been her thoughts had not wandered from the subject to which she appeared so earnestly to have devoted them for she said in the low slow even tone which denotes concentrated feeling if this be so miss martha dowling if thousands of human beings in a christian country are stigmatized as wicked because their destiny has placed them in a peculiar employment that employment ought to be swept for ever and for ever from the land though the wealth that flowed from it outweighed the treasures of mexico martha dowling started but said not a word in reply there was something in the manner of her neighbour which awed her true genuine deep feeling is always sublime be it manifested by such a young girl as mary brotherton or such an old king as lear but though martha was silent her companion suffered not the conversation to drop and presently resumed in a tone of less exultation do you think my dear that i could get hold of your little michael some day so that i might have a little conversation with him yes certainly miss brotherton replied martha i think papa would be quite pleased for he seems to like nothing better than seeing everybody take notice of him do you think your father loves the little boy martha i am sure he is very kind to him replied the conscious daughter a little piqued for it can be nothing but kindness that makes him take the child into the house and feed him and clothe him for nothing and of course martha he will get some instruction here oh he has begun to read the bible already replied the kind-hearted girl eagerly i have undertaken that business myself the poor little fellow seemed to suffer so when he was learning his part i never saw a child appear so heartily ashamed of anything one almost wonders at that too brought up as he must have been in the very lap of ignorance i should have thought after all i have heard that he would have been ashamed of nothing however i should like to talk to him at what hour do you give him his reading lesson martha when i catch him replied the young lady laughing you have no idea miss brotherton how much the little gentleman is engaged papa has taken him about with him in the carriage almost everywhere and such quantities of people have been to see him and does he seem greatly delighted with it all no i don't think he does he seems to me to care for nothing in the world but his mother and a little crippled brother that he talks of that does not look as if he were thoroughly confirmed in wickedness as yet observed the heiress no indeed it is his affectionate temper that has made me take to him for i do believe he is very idle and hates his work just as papa says they all do answered martha 
does he visit his mother every day he either goes or sends to her i believe papa makes a great point of something very nice being taken down to ashley every day for michael's sick mother to eat and the child always carries it himself when papa does not send him elsewhere and at what hour does he generally go always after luncheon don't you think the play must be almost come to an end martha said miss brotherton after looking again on the stage for a few minutes and yawning rather more conspicuously than politeness could warrant i should think it must replied martha catching and returning the yawn there was however a good deal to be done there was a figure dance to be performed and a trio to be played on the pianoforte harp and violoncello by the two eldest miss dowlings and their music-master this last was a very long business and the heiress who instead of having been instructed to endure annoyances patiently had been rather taught never to endure them at all got up in the middle of it and telling martha that her head ached too much to permit her remaining any longer made her way out of the room which she effected the more easily from having taken her station near a side door which led from the theatre in ordinary phrase the schoolroom into the private apartments of mademoiselle bourgeois martha dowling of course followed her and expressed much concern for her malady offering all the specifics usually suggested by one lady to another under such circumstances no thank you was the reply she received to all i only want to get away but it will not be very easy to do so this way replied martha unless you will condescend to go through the passage that leads from the offices never fear dear martha returned the self-willed young lady i will condescend to go through any passage that will lead to fresh air for indeed that place was too hot the room they first entered on passing through the door was one dedicated to the reception of globes slates guitars dumbbells dictionaries embroidering frames and sundry other miscellanies connected with an enlarged system of education beyond this was the bedchamber of mademoiselle which again led to an apartment opening upon that part of the schoolroom now occupied as a stage this room which was denominated mademoiselle bourgeois parlour was now converted into a general green room and dressing-room for into this all exits from the stage were made while still in the bedroom miss brotherton and her more than half-frightened companion heard voices speaking in no very pleasant accents from this theatrical retreat and the angry tones of sir matthew dowling himself were soon unmistakably audible let us go back pray let us go back said the greatly distressed martha in a whisper i am too ill my dear to bear that room again re-whispered miss brotherton let me sit down here a few minutes and i shall recover myself and then we can return and go out the other way with the rest of the company it was impossible to argue the point so poor martha submitted though cruelly distressed at the idea of her father's private violence of temper being listened to by one of those who had never seen dowling lodge or its inhabitants excepting in full dress this distress was by no means lessened when some very audible words made it evident that michael armstrong was the object of the angry feelings to which he was now giving vent as the best thing to be done under the circumstances she pointed to a sofa at the greatest distance from the imperfectly closed door from whence the sounds issued but miss brotherton had already dropped into a chair so near this door of communication that she not only heard but saw all that was passing in that part of the green room which sir matthew dowling occupied that this was the last place in which a gentlewoman would have been likely to place herself at such a moment is most certain 
but the capricious heiress was wont to exclaim on many occasions when observance and restraint were irksome to her i am not a gentlewoman and why should i torment myself by affecting to be one it was probably by some such reasoning that she now justified to herself the strong measure she was adopting in order to become acquainted with what was passing behind the scenes respecting michael armstrong circumstances were favourable to the object for sir matthew was in one of those towering fits of passion to which his family and dependents knew him to be subject though the majority of the world declared him to be an extremely good-natured man blackguard vermin devil's imp were among the first intelligible words which reached the heiress after she had seated herself and these were accompanied by cuffs so heavy on the head and shoulders of michael that it required a very powerful effort over herself to prevent her darting forward to seize the arm that gave them but this prudent effort was dictated and sustained by a stronger feeling than curiosity and she remained perfectly still to await what should follow dr crockley who though not among the corps of performers had been permitted to be useful behind the scenes in a variety of ways and among the rest had acted as prompter stood beside the trembling child and it was to his friendly ear that the irritated sir matthew addressed himself will you believe he did not do it on purpose will you believe crockley that there was anything to make him cry then had we not borne with all his beastly stupidity expressly for the purpose of keeping the little ungrateful monster in good humour hadn't i fed him and crammed him as you bid me with what was too good for him ever to have reached the smell of didn't i cosset his lazy beast of a mother with such niceties as the dirty beggar never heard of before and his crook-shanked rat of a brother too haven't they been all fed at my cost for more than a month past and then to see this black-hearted traitor come up upon the stage and cry before all the company as if his heart was breaking it's too bad to bear replied dr crockley and if he was to be flayed alive and salted it would not be half what he deserved wouldn't the best thing i could do be to send him back into the factory to-morrow morning doctor demanded sir matthew suddenly quitting his hold of the child and setting his square arms akimbo by the living god i am sick of the job i will be very good sir if you will said the boy and i won't go to sleep at the work at all and no more won't edward neither if you will but please to let me go back again you see how much he dreads the factory said sir matthew with a grim smile but nodding his head and winking his eye familiarly to the child we shall see my pretty dear if mr parsons can't contrive to do something more than just keep you awake he shall go back crockley upon my soul he shall it is the only way to prevent his driving me mad i loathe the very sight of him you must do as you like sir matthew replied his confidential friend but it will be the most d blank foolish thing you ever contrived in your life if you do i tell you the story is doing wonders everywhere and now because a stupid brat can't say his lesson perfect you are just going to spoil it all his lesson perfect confound the sly vagabond that was not the point crockley it was not the lesson that choked him how much will you bet me that if i get fifty lines written down abusing me and nothing else in em he won't learn them off as glib and perfect as any actor on the stage i know his black heart and he shall find out that mine is not made of pap before i have done with him that's all right and fair enough and i have nothing to say against it replied the friendly physician 
and let us talk it all over quietly together to-morrow morning but for to-night and here dr crockley taking his friend by the arm led him to the door which opened upon the stage from whence issued a tintamarre of instruments sufficient to cover whatever he might wish to say not only from the ear of little michael but from all others the moment selected by the angry knight for relieving himself of the wrath which burned within him would have been a most favourable one but for the accidental vicinity of miss brotherton while the whole corps of performers excepting the manufacturer and the factory boy were grouped upon the stage in a style the most favourable for the display of their persons and dresses the trio above mentioned augmented by way of finale by tambourines and triangles went steadily on in a crescendo movement that ended in a clamour rendered perfect by the last peal of applause from the well-nigh worn-out audience so that their secret conference was not otherwise likely to be overheard at the moment after sir matthew had declared his intention of teaching michael to know what his heart was made of and just as he was himself led off by his friend crockley miss brotherton pressing her two hands strongly upon her breast involuntarily pronounced the word monster and then placing her hands before her eyes remained lost in no very pleasing reverie but hardly had her meditations lasted a moment ere they were chased by hearing the sound of some one falling near her and looking round she perceived poor martha stretched insensible upon the floor inexpressibly shocked at remembering which she did by no slow action of the mind the suffering to which her own unscrupulous curiosity had exposed the unfortunate girl she ran to her with eager haste and with much repentant tenderness raised her head and did all her small experience suggested towards restoring her the comfortable insensibility did not last long and martha who with restored animation immediately recovered her recollection and in whose composition no affection of any kind had part raised herself without assistance from the ground and silently placed herself upon a sofa dear excellent martha exclaimed miss brotherton with much true feeling fear not that i should ever repeat what i have so accidentally heard and let not your good and dutiful nature suffer thus because i have heard it we have all our faults martha and it is the duty of each to pray for the conversion of their own hearts first and then for the repentance of others and what prayers dear girl so likely to be heard as those of a good and dutiful child let us slip back to our places martha this clapping of hands announces as i take it the conclusion of the piece martha though wounded to the very soul uttered no word of deprecation or complaint but there was an unsophisticated simplicity of character about her which made her decline by a courtesy that had a little of the stiffness of ceremony in it the offered arm of mary and stepping forward she opened the door by which they had left the theatre till the heiress had passed through it and resumed her place End of chapter ten